Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, it's Pro Stock Motorcycle Steve Johnson and A-Fuel Dragsters Garrett Bateman. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that Pro Stock car. Johnson tells an incredible story of COVID-19 survival. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! And Bateman talks about his cool career. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. This is the NHRA Insider. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian Loans. Welcome back to another edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Busy week here in the world of NHRA drag racing, making content as we have been. And thanks for tuning in to this podcast where we will have Steve Johnson and Garrett Bateman on as guests. Johnson will be on first. We're going to be talking about uh, the story of Jock, his his lead guy, his bike chief, if you will, head wrench, chief mechanic, head technician, call him whatever you want, Jock a staple. For about a decade in the world of NHRA drag racing has been battling the COVID-19 virus and it nearly took his life and he was been able to fight his way through and now fight his way out of the ICU and Steve Johnson's been documenting this story basically live as it happens on social media. He's done an amazing job of it. So we're going to talk to Steve about a whole bunch of different things. Uh, Steve Johnson, a very interesting guy and um, someone who has definitely an interesting perspective on drag racing and now has an incredibly firsthand perspective on the virus that has caused uh, the cessation of action in our sport and so many others across the world. And then there's Garrett Bateman that will be coming on as well. Bateman, a very well-known West Coast Oregon-based A-Fuel Dragster competitor with Rick Henkelman and those guys out there. We're going to talk to Garrett about a whole bunch of different stuff, but this is a guy who has done everything from raced a multitude of different drag racing cars. He's a Bonneville 200-mile-an-hour club member, and he also has been involved in the world of uh, tractor pulling with some big, hairy, heavy-duty tractors. So all that stuff will be part of the conversation with Garrett Bateman, and Steve Johnson's will concentrate on him and on Jock and how they've been getting through that particular situation. We continue to uh, live in interesting times, I guess, as we would have to say these days. And this week has been one of uh, pretty tumultuous social stuff going on around the country. And I know within the world of NHRA drag racing, a lot of conversations happening just amongst you know people who are friends and competitors and teammates and coworkers and colleagues. And it is uh, an environment that I feel like I'm very fortunate to be part of in terms of its culture. Um, in terms of the the people that make up the world of drag racing and you know we'll, we'll get into this when we talk to Steve Johnson but you know it's an interesting thing to to for me now about 20 years of my life in drag racing and what I've learned about people and what I've learned about you know different cultures upbringings backgrounds immigration life stories has come primarily from the world of motorsports and it's come primarily from the world of drag racing and the diversity level of the people involved in the sport um, have taught me a whole lot about myself and about the, the greater world around me. So whether it's NHRA stuff and I'm talking to racers that are from different places than I am or it's doing stuff outside of the world of NHRA when I do some of the grudge stuff or outlaw stuff or small tire stuff down south. You know, that's a completely different cultural experience than something a guy who was born and lives in eastern Massachusetts is used to dealing with or is used to being acclimated to or feeling comfortable in and um i think we'll get into some of these topics with with johnson in a few minutes but for me you know growing up where i grew up and still living in this town which is fairly small and you know not all that diverse if you if you'd get right down to brass tacks um what i learned about the world 
around me at the drag strip working as a tech inspector when I was 18 or 19 years old and kids from the city of Boston would come up to race or kids from cities like Lowell or Fall, Lowell or Fall River or other really ethnically diverse places would come up there and it was a jarring experience for me at first. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it as 19, 18, 19 year old kid that didn't have a lot of experience out in the, the greater world. Um, it was like, oh, these people are a lot different than I am. And they were a lot different than I am until I realized that they weren't. Um, until I realized that they were at the racetrack for the same reasons I was. And it was something that they loved and something that, that stirred something within them. And, uh, you know, it wasn't always that rosy when you had to fail somebody at a tech. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't like we were all high-fiving and hugging each other. But um, it was definitely, for me, a way to, to learn and understand, like, that even all these people who were totally different than I am, all these people who come from completely and utterly different backgrounds than me, all have the same kind of interest commonly that I do. And, and that's translated through drag racing. And I think for me, um, you know, personally speaking, it's, it's been those moments of being uncomfortable, those be moments of being exposed to cultures that I was ignorant about, not in an, I mean, ignorance, a tough word, but I guess that's what it was. I mean, when you go, when you go grudge racing down South, um, and you're the pastiest white dude in the world from Eastern Massachusetts, you're, you're typically not like the normal character in that crowd. And it's a, it's a respect and a love and a fun thing. And within a very short amount of time, you realize I'm just here with a bunch of people that love doing this and they want to have fun. Like I want to have fun and we're going to, we're going to have fun with each other and enjoy this stuff. And you know, all the, a lot of stuff that's going on in the world today is a very, it's a tough thing to watch. It's a tough thing to swallow, and it's a tough thing to, to try to sort our way through. But I, I always kind of take solace in the fact that drag racing is a place, at least for, for me, in my experience, historically speaking, we look back at the people who have won. We look back at a winner circle from like the 1965 Winter Nationals, and we see Don Prudhomme and Roland Leong standing there, like a black dude and an Asian guy winning the winter nationals and being celebrated and everybody's just like, Hey, that's cool. Um, there is tons of work to do in motorsports. There's tons of work to do in drag racing. Nothing's perfect or great or as good as it can be, but it is in motorsport. Anyway, the NHRA is, is very, very good in terms of who's there, why they're there, how they're received when they get there and how they're respected and doing what they do. But I don't want to get down too far down that road, but it is, um, for me anyway, I'm proud to be a part of NHRA and proud to be a part of drag racing. And I'm a proud, I guess, graduate in some ways of the drag racing school of diversity. And it's a place that showed me and taught me a lot about things that I never would have otherwise learned. All right, it's time for our first guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, and his name is Steve Johnson. You know him. He's competed in the pro stock motorcycle category for decades, had a very strong motorcycle, the strongest he's had in years at the end of 2019, and of course, came into 2020 with high hopes. But we're not going to start the conversation on the drag strip. We're going to start the conversation away from the drag strip. And more specifically, we're going to start the conversation, Steve, about a guy that is not only near and dear to your heart, but to all of our hearts these days, and that's uh, your right-hand man, uh, Jock. So... Uh, for anybody that's not paying attention here, give us a brief overview of what's been going on with Jock, and then we're going to get into some of the details. All right. Well, well, Jock's a, just a kid, 20, uh, 27 now, started with me uh, uh, 20 years old, and out of MMI, uh, just just had a dream like any of us, you know, he wants to, wants to work on motorcycles. His dad loved motorcycles, and, and uh, racing, racing was a big deal, so he... Uh, he found Steve Johnson racing and 
and started working with us and we've just had a just lots and lots of fun and every day working together so um it's just progressed and then you know spin it down like you said all of a sudden the coronavirus hits hits america and the and the world and so i sat him down because i i you know y'all don't know and you're listening now but i love i love inspiring and it came from my education program uh we have a program marketing your brand after the diploma and that really comes uh, from going to schools so just educating young people so we sat down and talked about the the virus and what it does and we watch these videos i'm brian you watched those yeah. videos probably right yep yeah so you know it's uh jock it, it absorbs your lungs and it, it makes your lungs not work and then it starts affecting all the or- organs and stuff so we talked about it and then as embarrassing as it may be to say you know when he would cough or i'd cough we'd be like oh I'm going to get the coronavirus. Oh, sure. No, that was, yeah, that's a common, you know, at at one point that was kind of a common thing before anybody really understood the breadth and the depth of this whole thing. For sure. I think we're all guilty of that. Yeah. So it's, it's very embarrassing now to say it, but I, I, you know, you're, 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 I've heard your podcast before and they're, and they're real. So it's like, you know, anyway, back to the point is long story short, Jock's mom gets the virus. She's a frontline worker. She's a nurse. And she gets the, the virus. Well, Jock is, uh, um, you know, interacting with his mom. And he had just bought this little house, a fixer-upper, and he's moved in. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'm nervous as heck about his mom because she is really bad. She has some other uh, underlying uh, health concerns. Anyway, uh, naturally where the story's going is Jock gets the virus. And they're both in the same hospital. And a couple of days later... Um, as miserable as it is to think or say, we lose Jock's mom. Yeah. Um, it just, it just, it's a horrible, horrible thing. You know, all of a sudden the, the podcast goes down to a. Well, but that's what that's why I want to talk to you about this, and because this is a, this is a very real conversation we're going to be having here about about this story, and ultimately, you know, to some degree, it's going to have a positive ending when we get to that point. But but this is. This is as real as it gets. I mean, we we know people in this sport that have come down with it. Todd Smith uh, had a battle with this for for weeks. There have been other people that have been sickened by it. But really, when it comes down to brass tacks, I think Jock's story is the most impactful, and of course, is is the most I want to say well known. And it's because you of you. And um, we're going to go again. Now, these are all things I want to get a little bit deeper into, but. Um, to, to kind of move us just in the just to give people the kind of timeline storyline here. So we're at the point now where Jock's mom has passed away, and this is all happening. This is all happening virtually real time as we're having these conversations. Jock's mom passed away not even a couple of weeks ago at this point as we're making this podcast. So um, as Jock's mom passes, you're keeping all of us updated on this stuff. So let's kind of uh, let's kind of keep the story moving on the medical side of things here for Jock. Okay, so. Uh we were numbering. I'm not the, uh, you know, people, the old people say, oh, I'm not a Facebook guy. Well, <laughs> you know, I, uh, social media, you know, in the old days, I used to send press releases to everybody on Monday morning from, from a computer and I'd mail them to people with a picture. I've told you that before. Yeah. I'd even send them to all the employees at NHRA. So, I mean, I was the original sl- snail mail kind of tell everybody <laughs> on the planet about what Steve Johnson's doing. And it was, it was a derivative of Bernstein because, because Bernstein was so strong in, in our sport. I mean, every part of business, uh, you know, I, I love everything 
that I learned from him and, and still do, but uh, the communication is so important. And if, 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 uh, if, if you could, if I could tell people about this, they'd understand that it's, that it is real. And I think from me and Jock coughing and, and kind of rolling our eyes and it's like, uh, it is, it's crazy real. Bobby Bennett writes a, yes. a competition plus, and he, he got it. Oh, it's almost like he was even worse once he got let go. It just kept going on him. So, and Todd and, and Julie, you know, people don't understand as, as bad as it is for the person that has it. And I'm obviously very, very biased here, but I feel my biggest heartache goes for Julie because his 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 gal is 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 heartbroken every single day. Her guys in the, you know, so yeah, it's she, like she can't see him. Yeah, it's 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 there's an isolation element to this, of course. So uh, you know, it's it's yeah. So anyway, okay. So let's let's keep going on Jock here. We can get in. We'll get into all the ancillary topics, but let's keep going with Jock. Okay, love love the long words that you have with all those syllables. <laughs> so <laughs> so so um uh anyway so. Jock, now he has uh, a couple of days to where when I wake up, I don't know if he's going to be alive. It, it, it was, it's your lungs, folks, your, your lungs do not move. You got a ventilator shoved down your, shoved down your throat. It's moving. And, and from the, the racing standpoint, this ventilator, I don't know if you all know, and I'm still learning. It not only fills your lungs with, with, a, with a area called peep and, and it fill, and then it also determines the amount of air that goes in and how long it stays in and for the period of time that it goes in and then as it comes back out it's it that ventilator is amazing but you can only have that in a couple of weeks so to keep it to keep it moving um jock's in icu and it looks like he's gotten through this little heart this little scary scary part well his eyes open and I'm on a pot. I'm on a, they have a little video thing that's in the room and the family can call in and that's the only interaction you can have. And all of a sudden now Jock's family's getting the, the virus one by one. They're all getting the virus from different areas. Not all from, you know, from sure. being around Jock, obviously, but it's just attacking. Uh, it's attacking uh, Jock's family. And eventually his fiance gets it. So, so I'm the only one that kind of in the family, so to speak. So th- this is probably the most miserable part of the whole thing. And I'm pr- trying to be very, very respectful. And I, Jock, I know you're listening to this because at some point you are going to listen to this. So at some point, you know, y'all listening is, is we, Jock's asking about his mom. Yeah. So, uh, I get, I get dressed up. I go to the hospital and I'm the only one that can, can, can go and I go into ICU and I'm telling you folks, when you put on all that PPE and, and gloves and masks and gowns and all this stuff and airtight and, and you go into his room, you know, you go into the room, you open a sliding glass door and you go inside, they shut the door and then you're in there with him and, and whatever else is in there. And, and, uh, so, you know, I just, I basically, you know, I, I had his, uh, mom's, uh, you know, piece of jewelry and, and just told him how mom came in and, and, yeah. uh, gave him a kiss on his, on his forehead and said that she loves him and, and, uh, she was going to be with his dad. So that was probably the most traumatic thing of this whole deal. And it, it's, just, it's heartaching. It's heartbreaking. Cause also I, you know, I got a, I had a cat, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I don't have this, this love interaction with not married and kids and stuff like that. But, you know, so anyway, I was, 
I was really uh, so I I got out of there. I got a buddy that runs a, a, a COVID unit in uh, in Macon, Georgia, and you know he calls me and says, "How's it going?" And uh, boy, I had a pity party on the side of the road and trying to explain to him what happened. And I just saw more sorrow. I saw more disease and I saw more of an inside of an ICU that I ever could imagine or ever wanted to imagine. So it was just a little traumatic for, for, for me, but it wasn't about me, but it was just folks. If you, I guess, I guess I'm trying to catch up with society because I, I really had some compassion and, and just having my head in a motorcycle all these years, it just, I was kind of left out of society. Yeah, it's a and it's a brutal thing to have to go in there and you know deliver that news is just crushing to think about, and then to, in the circumstance that you have to do it in, it's uh, ugh. Um, so you know to now if we if we come up to real time at this moment, um, Jock is now officially out of the ICU. Um, so he has, you know, again, not out of the hospital yet, not out of the woods yet, but he has weathered what would seem to be the worst part of the storm. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so, um, we, by the way, when, when, when you leave that ICU and you do get your head together and you get out of bed and all the pity party stuff is over, you, you just really get the compassion for these people. So we have been buying, uh, with sponsors and, and friends. We've been buying the ICU people lunches and and the dinner and the night people. We've been buying them dinners. So, folks, if you, if you ever want to do something good and it's really easy, you just make a phone call. And they, they're some of those some of those nurses live day to day, and they they just they love it. So we we put a different brand on it because we're representing the National Hot Rod Association. We like to let people know how how we're detailed. Well, I I bring in uh, Oreo cookies and we bring a Mellow Yellow. Nice. Nice. So, so I'm I'm working the marketing side of it too, you know. But it's um uh, that that's a big deal, and so uh, that's exactly what happened. Is Jock uh, got t- he gets tested? They get better, and you can see by the ventilator because he doesn't need as much oxygen, and his eyes are open, and he's uh he's he's communicating, and we gave him his phone, and so he can uh, he can kind of talk through texting that way. Um, but, but he had to have a tracheotomy and, uh, you got to get that tube out of there after it's been in there a couple of weeks. It just, your, 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 your throat doesn't dig all that and, and infection, all that stuff. So, and he's getting fed, so he's getting better. And yesterday, um, I believe it was yesterday, uh, he got the, one of those parades that you see on the news every once in a while. Yeah, that video, the video. And for those of you listening that haven't seen or read these updates are on Steve Johnson racing. And, and I would encourage all of you to go check it out because it's, uh, you know, it'll, it'll stand. I mean, the video that you're talking about specifically is amazing when he's getting wheeled out and you know, the the doctors and the nurses are all clapping and everything. It's, it's an emotional (laughs) thing to watch. Oh my God. It it took me a couple of days to tee that up. It's not like it's never, ever happened, but you really want to make sure it's happening. Uh, Brian being on the media side of the, of the world, you know, just because you have the greatest story in the world doesn't mean anybody's ever going to see it, you know? So it's, um, you know, communicating and getting my desire and, and the hospital has some responsibility there. So it's, we, we got all that worked out and it, it was, it, it hit and it hit the airways and that's Facebook, uh, Steve Johnson yes. racing on Facebook. So, um, anyway, he got out of there and he go, goes to what's called a special care unit. And the only way he can move there is if you get tested in two different days and you come up negative. So 
um, that, that's, that's obviously one of the things that has to happen. So you get into this special care unit and I went and spent, uh, you know, half a day with him yesterday and, and, uh, <laughs> I got to do all the talking. Can you imagine how horrible that would be? <laughs> ah, no, man, absolutely not. I think, you know, I think it's, this is, um, it's, well, we can get into the next phase of this, which I certainly want to bring up before I go pontificating on anything, which is, you know, you have always struck me and, and continue to demonstrate the fact that you're a you're a very proactive person in, in a lot of different ways. So we're learning about this now, obviously, maybe some people are, but I've known you for several years and, and understand kind of your personality and makeup. But um, along with the updates, along with making sure you maintain contact, along with, um, you know, bringing in food and doing all the other kind of stuff, you also started a GoFundMe for Jock, which, again, you know, drag racing community, we talk about it all the time, but you start this GoFundMe with a with a goal of I think twenty five or twenty thousand dollars and the last I peaked at it it's it's close to forty thousand dollars that's been raised so far, which is it's just so great. You know, I mean it's 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 a financial thing, so so some people scoff at that, but man but man, that is to me, it's people that love this guy that have that have reached out to help. Yeah, that that is that is well said. It's I was nervous about that thing, uh, just and you know blah 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 all the things that go through your mind. And let me tell you something, folks. It's like um, I feel like I can I can relate with everybody listening now because my 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 shallowness in life is is expanded so much. And you know, it wasn't so much shallow about necessarily me because I was I feel like I had a lot of depth for the National Hot Rod Association. Everybody knows I'm a suck up and and stuff like that. But it's like I love what we do. And it and and just a, it's a perfect segue. Jock is favorite saying is lock it in. We we as we as drag racers, when you lose in the first round, well, you're in your pit area and you're tearing down. Well, the, the races are still going on. So you know Tony Schumacher is racing Leah or, or you know Dixon or whatever is right. So everybody's betting. And, yeah. and and Jock Jock would say, oh, the left lane, or I want Schumacher, or or I want Antron, or whatever it may be, and and lock it in. Jock would always say, lock it in. So now we our our shirt and his website is going to have the the initiative of lock it in. So lock it in for Jock is if you have if you if you're going to go wake up and go to work every day, lock it in. Make it the best. Do do absolutely be all in on your guy which is you and 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 do the same thing with your relationships lock it in i love you we're gonna get married whatever you know lock it in and then to to finalize it it's with your health it's like think about your health a little bit get some sleep eat some broccoli eat some good food you know don't process food isn't necessary it helps the pharmaceutical companies not you so (laughs) so lock it in and so every part of his logo jock strong is going to have a little lock at the very end on the G to, to, to signify lock it in and, and really lock it in about your health. And that's, you know, I, I, to, to be able to phrase what Todd Smith is going through, it's like, tell people about this initiative, about it's real and, and take care of yourself. And, you know, uh, we, as a society, we have to go back to work, okay, for sure. And I talked to Jock with this. Uh, we have to go back to work as a society and go do what we do as Americans and, and fight the fight and do all that stuff. But if knowledge is king, then let's get educated the best way we can. Yeah. So we, so we can deal with this thing. Yeah, that's and that's a to me, 
you, you have definitely summed up my kind of mentality personally on this, is, which is, yes, you you know, it's the world has to begin moving again, which, you know, thankfully it has uh, to some degree. And the only real weapon you have against this is the knowledge and respect of it and, you know, taking precautions as you can take them and, and not making unnecessarily risky decisions, right? And, yeah, no, I think it's great. And the website's going to be jockstrong.com or what's the website going to be? Yeah, it's it's jockstrong.com and in case in case y'all haven't met me but you've known me the last 5 minutes <laughs> we're going to sell t-shirts. <laughs> I think it's a no, I think it's a great I think it's a great initiative and you know what I was going to say before we started talking about the GoFundMe side of things was, you know, the it takes um it does take for me anyway, especially in our community or, or any kind of, I guess any kind of dedicated community like drag racing, it does take a firsthand account of on a near daily basis of something like this to really have it land with a lot of people. And to this point, you know, we've heard about other people's travails with this. We've heard about them maybe second or third hand, or we've seen people, you know, maybe post things that are slightly vague about a certain person, maybe getting better or somebody feeling ill. But the, what you've done with Jock's story is the first time we've seen it and how it actually plays out with somebody who's 27 years old on a day-to-day basis. And like you said, you know, I think what was so interesting about how you told this story, and again, I encourage everybody to go kind of read all the updates starting from the beginning is that um it did it, all of the all of the updates had your kind of signature air of positivity in them it wasn't over the top when it shouldn't have been but you definitely got the point across at certain times that um things were looking pretty dire and you didn't do it in a way that was that was overly dramatic you did it in a way that an intelligent person could read it and understand these next couple of days are going to be very critical. So to, to your credit, I think you did a really, really nice job of telling the story in an impactful way that, that definitely landed with a lot of people. Oh, that's, that's cool that you said, you know, I told everybody, you know, how I sent those PR things out a long time ago. My, I'm, I'm a little bit older and my education, which I love education, get as much education as you can. There's the, the web, these web can web, uh, webinars and things in, in society today to you know to be a to be a skilled have a skilled trade you can learn so much of that stuff online it's um it's neat but there's nothing like post-secondary education but i learned from from a, an, uh, an old journalist who's probably one of the most famous ones from a long time ago is, is john asher and and he got me started in the sport he told me about sponsorship and i really owe so much to that guy believe it or not uh because he's a journalist and communicating i couldn't communicate nearly like him but at the end of the day i knew hey you can't you can't let all the beans you can't spill all the beans here but you got to let people know that you know just because all of a sudden you're good one day something might turn and you might not be good the next day and you're right there in the hospital so john myers uh, yeah. I mean, every single as a as a motorcycle representative through the National Hot Rod Association, I love to be able to convey, hey, we're a, we have motorcycles, too. And these people are all real and they buy all your parts. They go to your auto parts stores. They buy your cars and your trucks. So, it, you know, all the motorcycle people um, all joined together with John Myers when, when we had an auction and we raised a, a, a significant amount of money for the family. And that's back to the racing family it's but it but you got to communicate this stuff and 
And there's there's seminars about how to, to do a resume and how to get in front of somebody and pitch the pitch. I'm watching that now because some of my major sponsorship pitches haven't turned out exactly the way I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and obviously that's you know that is the hardest end of the business and and especially in the times that we're that we're currently and immediately sitting in now. You know, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about here is. Um, you know, it's a, obviously a fairly sensitive subject with everything that's been going on in the in the world recently outside of the coronavirus, the the unrest that's been happening around the country. And, you know, I I, I struggle. I struggle with with I get confused about stuff like this. I really do. And I get confused about it because we we live in drag racing anyway, for the most part, live in an, an arena that for a half a century plus has had its has had its warts, has had its problems, has had its bad apples, has had, you know, has had, you know, people that were unsavory involved in it. But at the end of the day, we live in an, an arena in this sport where I don't see a lot of the stuff. I get confused by this because I just don't see it in our lives. In our in our racing lives, I don't see the amount of divide that we see in other places. And I think you and Jock are an example of that. I mean I don't know. I, I I don't know. Talk to me a little bit about that because you've been in this sport a lot longer than I have. I know things evolve and change over time, but I just don't see us in drag racing as divided as the rest of the world seems to be at this point. No, I I, I think I know where you're going. You know, for for everybody that might not know, Jock's a young African American. He's got dreads. I mean, if you remember the movie Predator. Yeah, they call him Predator. <laughs> the guy, call him Predator, yeah. <laughs> when the guy takes off the mask at the end, and it's, it's this guy with these, you know, scary as hell looking guy. It's like, and so Jock tells me, he tells me, we, we, Jock and I won the, the 2014 Gator Nationals, and it's, it's, I know it's hard to keep up with. There's so many that we've won. Okay. Uh, I, I, but it, <laughs> so John, they interviewed Jock on the starting line. And, uh, you know, I know that as a driver. So you're at the other end, they're interviewing you and you know that they've already done the interview with Jock. And I said, I'm in the middle of my interview telling everybody how we, how he did good today and it's like oh my gosh you interviewed my guy i said he looks like predator <laughs> <laughs> we do not see jock and i do not see the the, the the divide we absolutely see black and white but we try to yeah. push it the other way and i he couldn't sleep folks this is so sad you're in this hospital and you're, you're you can't sleep and he's got the certain meds in him and his body's going through whatever well he can't sleep the poor guy so i'm on the phone with him you know three four for i don't know it was an hour and a half we're trying different things so i i'm like you need one of those masks you know put a mask over your face because the the doctor wasn't there and they did give him some sedatives and stuff so it's not like they weren't cognizant it's uab in in birmingham fantastic uh hospital but so, so i i got these little things to go over your eyes uh dixon says you got a lot you gotta have a black room uh to have the best sleep so i can't have a dark black room so i put this thing over my eyes and it's you know what the girls wear usually typically kind of thing yeah, sleep so nice, uh, sure. But anyway, to, to land the plane, I got, I got one that's black and one that's white, and I take a picture and I send it to him, and I says, "Have you got any of these?" And so <laughs> I'm 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 confident with where I am on on uh, on on our fellow man, but I won't go into the story me and Jock have all the time, and it's so fun. But it's like we we 
we do have a we do have a situation and you're and you're you're ignorant or you're blind if you're not cognizant of the situation we have in our society but it is such a great opportunity as drag racers in the early 90s when 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 i think bernstein didn't qualify in atlanta and we had an alternate back then and somehow uh bernstein was racing on sunday and that that created a rule that we have in 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 right away and, and even in today's world and and the, my point is is when you look at something and you got to create something something good out of this thing we're smart human beings it's like there's got to be a way to communicate and we have more communication than ever so i just it's it's such a great time to inspire people to say how do we become better and fantastic human beings and and jock and i i mean i, I wake up figuring out Today we got we got dinner and lunch going over there to the hospital, you yeah. know, and it's like I'm gonna go see Jock and hang out and there's a oh Brian there's there's a VCR and a DVD player in his room so <laughs> so I'm gonna bring him some old VCR tapes oh, old VHS of, stuff of, nice VHS stuff yeah <laughs> of, of me at the street races and and you know Beckman used to go to the street races and and Karen Stouffer and. Larry Dixon and so many, you know, but we realized that that was dangerous and got out of there, but it's like, that's still good stuff though. I'm going to say, Hey, Jock, look at this. This is great. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) The captive audience feel, you know, but anyway, it's, it's a Jock, Jock, Jock sees that stuff the same way. He gets along with everybody at the races clearly. And it's a, uh, it's a great way to, to show, to be an ambassador for the sport and to be an ambassador for humanity. It, as corny as that sounds, it's like we have a choice. Be a great human being. Yeah. No, it's, that's the best way to put it. I think you, you do legitimately have a choice. This is a matter of choice that you're making here. Yeah, no, and it's, I don't know. It's just to me, it's funny. I, you know, the town I grew up in, I still live in, and it's a, you know, a little small town on the southeastern in the southeastern part of Massachusetts, and uh, it is certainly by no means uh, the, the world's biggest melting pot. But when I first started working at New England Dragway in, in, in New Hampshire, again, you think of a place like New Hampshire, but it's the only track in the entire region that's a quarter-mile drag strip. So everybody, all the kids from Boston, all the kids from the from the metro, like the, the metro uh, west the suburbs, the, nor- the northern cities like Lowell, all these guys would come up and race. And I worked in the tech department, so like, it was, you know, there'd be a group of Cuban guys that had this car, a group of Latino guys over here, a group of black guys show up with this. And it was like, it was at first, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, 20 years old is a little jarring because this wasn't what I was used to. But it took about 15 minutes to understand, oh, we're literally all here for the same reason. And it's been so helpful for me in in a lot of my life, I think. And that's why I get confused because it's, you know, I guess a lot of people haven't had the exposure to a lot of different cultures and a lot of different people, and, and maybe that's the root of exactly what this is. It's always ignorance is the root of these problems, but I just um, – and I'm not saying we live in some perfect world either. I mean, we got our fair share of problems. Everything and everybody does. We're human beings, but my God, it's just um, it's just, it's just astonishing when I know guys like you and Jock. I know great people in our sport that are from totally different backgrounds and places that have found this commonality – and it turns into just everybody having a common interest and it doesn't really matter where you came from or what you look like. Yeah, it's, it's, and, and that spins to the perfect saying, if you hang out with trash, you're going to become trash. Yeah. And if you hang out with great people to inspire people, uh, you know, Tony Robbins did it. I went to one of his presentations and, you know, the, the, 
availability, the, the position that you put yourself in, the environment that you hang out in is the number one thing that creates wealth. Um, and, and wealth comes from different wealth of health, wealth of finances, wealth of, you know, being a great human being. So it's, it's, we, we still, we still have our choices to most extents. There's an, a, a, an exception to every rule, but when these people, not, not to zoom to my initiative, but they're, they're, you have a choice. And when, when you can invest in this kid and, and that GoFundMe thing is a great deal. There, there's somebody that donated five, a company donated five thousand dollars there's there's lots of people that donated a thousand and five hundred um there, there's people that donated five dollars there's a kid that donated everything in his piggy bank nice. i mean how much what what's what's more impactful a kid that empties a piggy bank with five dollars for jock or the guy that is a, a bazillionaire and he do, and he donates uh ten thousand i mean it's right. it's it's the same or not it's it's just it's it's having heart you know and so uh, that's that's a it's you have a choice my point is is you have a choice and and not only make the choice but be happy with it <laughs> i hate when, i hate when i come back and i say well i put too much clutch in at that time but it's right. like it's the best thing i could do <laughs> at the point yeah and i do um you know i do want to touch briefly um not to minimize the impact of of actual racing on a podcast that is about drag racing but uh, i do want to touch briefly on kind of where you feel like your program is going to be coming into this year i mean we saw you on top of a motorcycle and and what was so what's so interesting to me about this facet of the conversation is last year you you removed yourself from the situation on purpose to kind of reassess your operation to do what needed to be done and then you came back like gangbusters i mean you came back on a motorcycle that um, was more competitive than we've seen you on in seasons and that was because you took some time to step back. Now, obviously, we've had a lot more time to step back and a lot of more extended time to think about stuff and, and consider things and, and contemplate. So I guess from from my question would be, one, what is the difference between the extended time you took away last year versus this extended time this year? And have you been able to use it to your benefit? Uh, that's a that's time time and uh, the education. You know, if knowledge is king, then education is power. So it's, it's like... Uh, uh, that's exactly what was happening. You know, we've got a uh, little team and I've been a Vance and Heinz customer for since, since I started racing basically. And, and, uh, we get our engines and then jock and I work on them back at the shop. And, uh, we got, we definitely, uh, stumbled onto stuff and, and learned and we have a dyno and, uh, try to do more and more things ourselves in, in an effort to save money. Well, we, you know, yeah. I am broke more stuff. It is so folks. If you, it's so cool for me. If you can put yourself in, in my little world, not to sound crazy, but it's like the post.car car guys, those are our big brothers. You know, it's like Greg Anderson and Warren Johnson and, and Bob Glidden and all those guys. I got to go to Bob Glidden's house and he has more training aids to be a golfer along his wall than Carter has liver pills. And I'm like, Bob, what are all those training aids? And he's like, well, I got to keep my head down and I got to have a follow through. And, and I'm like, I'm laughing my butt off, but to be able to hang out with these guys, uh, Chris McGahey and, and, and Mike Heiner and, and just all the, you learn from hanging around your environment, kind of what I said before. So I would learn from, from a lot of these guys and even the guys in our, uh, in, in pro stock motorcycles. So, where I'm going with that is, is uh, 
they made they have made some stupid mistakes too. So I ruined a whole set of pistons by by doing stupid stuff. But anyway, I'm like, gosh, darn it! And these uh, these this little bit of help that we have, it gives us a chance to to refine some things. Well, now they've given us a new rule to have four valve cylinder heads. Yeah. And if if you if you follow anything about an engine, uh, a four valve cylinder head uh, with the same cubic inch is going to produce more than a two valve cylinder head because there's just so much air. You have so much more air you can put through the engine. And uh, I think is I'm not an engine builder, but I basically that's it. So everybody knew that when we go to Gainesville, nobody's going to have a four valve engine. But now Vance and Hines has got one and Monster's got one. So um, I bought one of these Monster, well, uh, my Bob Button, my, my buddy uh, Bob Button and, and Tony Toll and, and, and Mac Rack, the, the, our sponsors, they all said, hey, we want you to get this four valve. So we got a, nice. a four valve. And uh, unfortunately, these last three weeks, I have not been able to, to do anything with that. But um, we were sure excited to, to have it. And there's going to be a four valve out there. Probably won't be on our bike, but uh, we are definitely going to have one within uh, maybe the first maybe the first uh, six six or seven races. Hopefully, um, hopefully by Indy we'll have one, and, and right. it would it hopefully it will be fast. And they've already they've already added weight to us, so that we had do have an option of running a four valve, but we have to have a heavier motorcycle. Despite what you may have heard on a on a Facebook uh, <laughs> a Facebook Live uh, uh, interview. <laughs> Yeah, and that four valve thing is going to add another. I think you know, from my selfish perspective, it gives us another fun story angle to talk about with Pro Stock Motorcycle. Um, whether it's interpersonal stuff or mechanical stuff, I think anything along those lines helps us to get people interested and keep people engaged in the category. And now it doesn't just become the V twins versus the inline fours; it becomes the V twins versus the two valve inlines and the four valve inlines and the different weight breaks yeah. and the different weight combinations. And you know, as you know, and, and as you've seen over the course of time in drag racing. This is the type of stuff that people gravitate to. People will naturally pick one of those combinations and they will have some sort of weird personal affinity toward it. And when their when their particular combination does well, they will cheer. And when it doesn't do well, they will scream to the heavens that they need to be accommodated by the rules. And, you know, <laughs> and some people will say that's a bad thing, but I, I always maintain that it isn't. Pro Modified would not be anywhere near as popular as it is today if nobody said anything and everybody was happy all the time. But the fact yeah, that everybody yeah. is constantly angry and yelling, that's why people like it. <laughs> that's that's well said. The, the Harleys have their people. The, the V-Twins yep. have uh, their people. And the Suzuki, the inlines, they, they have our people. And and look, folks, at the end of the day, the, the, the V-Twins have 160 cubic inches. Now to zoom into really hardcore stuff, they have 160 cubic inches. They got to weigh 100. They got to weigh 630 pounds. But they're 160 cubic inches. The Suzukis are 113 cubic inches. So way 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 smaller engine and but but we're 30 pounds lighter lighter than those guys so the, the sanction body as much as everybody wants to beat on the sanction body there is a great plan because they want everybody to weigh the same amount so if they give more power to the suzukis they can start adding some weight on there and and there's a, i got a picture of this skeleton thing that i walk around i said hey here's my new rider you know it's all it is is a skeleton <laughs> You know, Angel and the girls always just, they're, they're just so light and, and as, as unpopular as it may be, the bottom line is, is when you have a lighter rider, there's a huge advantage because yeah. now the rider, the, the rider is, is, is a lot lighter than, 
than X. And so the weight goes on to the bottom of the motorcycle. So you can accelerate that vehicle. So typically girls are a little bit less of a frame than, than the guys. So they have a huge advantage. The, the, the girls do. The disadvantage for the girls is, is they're dealing with a heavier motorcycle to get down the drag strip. So uh, hopefully that's getting me out of the, <laughs> the doghouse there, but it's, um, it, it, it is the fact. So if everybody can weigh the same, then the sanction body can sit back and say, Hey man, it's the power plant. It's, 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 there's nothing else going on. But yeah. like you just said, it's the power plant. Yeah, it's going to be a great uh, great thing to follow, and I uh, can't wait to see Jock's return to the racetrack as well as all of our return to the racetrack. But uh, that dude is going to get treated like Elvis. The first the first race we're back, the first several races we're back, um, Jock will be, and rightfully so, a rock star in the pit area. So I know he's been a rock star for you for seven years now, and hopefully that relationship continues on well into the future. Steve, thanks so much for taking the time, man, and um, it's a great conversation. I know it's not that much about drag racing, but I think it's about stuff that's way more important and certainly stuff that is uh, reflective and informative about our community the relationships that you have in life uh, it, it's amazing roger penske taught us a long time ago it's like you're always talking to the boss but you always look to the right or left because the usually the kid that's right the, usually the person <laughs> that's right next to the, the boss is is going to be a player at some point and you know that's 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 you know i didn't say anything about slick 50 are, are a sponsor and it's like you know they have an engine treatment and i've learned about them and i've grown with them and they've helped me so it's like you have to kick back to to the the relationships that you have and what what you've gained from them and so that's uh the relationship that i've got with the top fuel guys todd smith was a crew chief uh, on larry dixon's car back in the perdome age yep. it's, it's like you know, everybody's like, "How do you know that guy?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm old. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know a few people." So there's just reach out and be a great person, and and it's so easy to do because it's so rewarding. I get so much love out of feeding these nurses and things. So you know, when you have that opportunity, um, if you haven't had one, go find one. And when there's an opportunity, make sure your eyes are open long enough to to understand it and share it. Share it with somebody as corny as this is. When you share it, it comes back, and it, it, man, hey, we won the U.S. Nationals twice. You know what? You know, it wasn't from me. It was from, <laughs> it was probably some inner divine mention or whatever they call it. Well, Steve, thanks again for uh, for your positivity, and thanks again for sharing the story that uh, it's not the easiest thing in the world to share, and you've done it in such a. Uh, I mean, to me, such an amazing way. It's benefited all of us in uh, a bunch of different ways. So be good, man. I will see you down the road sooner rather than later. Hopefully our big, bad, mellow yellow schedule is soon to be released, and we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. Steve Johnson, thank Thanks. you so much. Follow him on Facebook. Thanks so much. And, Thanks, uh, thank, hashtag inspired. Don't judge. I like it. Thanks, Steve. All right, so it's time for our second guest here in the NHRA Insider Podcast this week. His name is Garrett Bateman coming to us live from the great state of Oregon. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you doing? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. I feel like uh, things are finally moving in the right direction for drag racing. I feel like we got some racetracks that are starting to make some noise out there. Has has Woodburn been able to do testing or anything yet? Yeah, they've done a test session, one or two test sessions, um, and they've they've gone well without any issue or any problems. So biggest problem we have right now is the weather. It seems like good old Oregon it comes around when it's the weekend and then it decides to rain so <laughs> yeah it's it's almost yeah. it's 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 as frustrating as this whole thing has been when I see guys going back racing now it's like PDRA was racing last weekend and it rained like on their event I was like come on man really like come on yeah <laughs> yeah after all this yeah here comes the rain yeah 
So the so, reason, yeah, the reason I wanted to catch up with you, Garrett, is because uh, obviously you're a guy who's uh, done a lot in, in NHRA drag racing. You and Rick Hangelman, the whole team, have had great levels of success. You've driven a whole bunch of different stuff, and I guess I want to start with your uh, your kind of a fuel exploits, and I want to talk a little bit about how you felt like things worked for you last year and what your I guess what your plans are for this year, knowing what we know currently, which ain't all that much about national events coming up. Yeah. Well, I mean, we ran really good last year. You know, Rick Hinkleman, I'm just so fortunate to be racing for him and with him. Um, you know, as everybody knows in this class, he's he's one of the best guys out there, if not the best. And, uh, you know, we had a good year. Um, big news this year was that last year we had a good year, but big news this year was that we were going to, teammate with uh mitch myers and run with him and that's really exciting and his car is all together sitting here on the jack stands and uh we haven't had a chance to run it yet so um the two car deal you know it's kind of mixed bag some people think it's you know tough to deal with i remember uh good old randy meyer telling me at a race a couple years ago when we ran with the parkers out of washington uh they ran our other car he said, man, you can turn one car into two really bad ones really quick. <laughs> so, uh, but that, that didn't happen to us. We, we ran good with Kim and, and I had a good time with those, those guys. So, um, no, we're, we're excited. It's just, you know, with everything going on, we can't, we can't race and it's frustrating and we're chomping at the bit to go. We got short blocks lined up to LA and heads and Rick has invested a lot in, uh, going fast and, and having a professional, um, deal going forward with Mitch and uh, there's parts everywhere. I just want to be able to use them. Yeah, um, but we're we're yeah. we're looking forward to to this season whenever we get going. I mean, we feel real good about both cars um, and being able to learn from that and and progress for what we need to do. Yeah, I think it's an interesting evolutionary step for your team. You know, I feel like uh, obviously as one of the top injected cars in the country, you know, you guys year in and year out are, are contending and winning races. So when you're able to add that second layer of, uh, of data, and I and I totally understand Meyer's point where you can, you know, take something awesome and cut it in half and you get something that's only okay. But I really feel like with the collective level of experience that you guys have racing together i don't feel like there's a lot of mistakes that you're going to make on that front you know what i mean it's not like it's not like going to run into a lot of surprises here with these things yeah yeah i appreciate that and you're right um the you know the cars don't care they're just they're they're mechanical pieces of equipment you know it's the people that put their hands on them and it's how they're maintained and and who works on them and the quality of people and we have really good people from you know the our crew guys that work on the cars to rick to everybody i mean we we um we we have good guys and good people around us our sponsors ngk boost performance products advanced auto parts i mean we've got good sponsors and those are all great people associated with those companies um you know brent jines from boost performance he comes and and slings a clutch around with me nice. whenever he can nice. so he has a he has a good time doing that but he gets a lot of play on tv because we put i few years ago a funny story i asked him i said hey brent send me a picture of yourself and make some funny faces and and he i waited and sure enough here comes these pictures over the phone and and i don't know what he was doing at the time it was, he was laying in bed you know getting ready for bed or whatever he's doing but he took these pictures and i we chose the best one and i put it on the backboard behind the driver in the car <laughs> and uh <laughs> and i didn't tell him about it and so when he came to Vegas, I had him look at the car and I said, Hey, what do you notice? You notice anything? And it took him a while and he finally saw it. And he got a big kick out of it. And then there was just a parade of all his buddies coming by the pits. He wanted to show him his 
face on the backboard of the the dragster. But I'll tell you what, you know, the the TV coverage, the Fox Sports coverage, they all seem to find a way to go in there and see Brent's face <laughs> on the back of my headboard. And I like to tell people that uh, he's got my back. That's why he's on there, and he does. He's he's a great guy. He he loves to work on the car when he can, and and helps us as a as our major sponsor. So um, he's he's great. So yeah. No, that's fantastic. It's uh, it's a neat thing, and you know, honestly, our sport to me is um, our sport is is a detail sport, right? As big and as loud and as crazy as it is, the real interesting stuff and the fun stuff comes in those little details. The the little photo you catch on somebody's car, maybe the little weird decal they have on the side that you have to go ask them, like, what does that mean? And then you get the background <laughs> story to it, and it's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect example, you know. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, you know, you're you're one of the most, I guess, diversified guys we have out on the tour um, with the number and amount of race cars you've driven, whether we're talking about the, you know, alcohol burning double B funny cars out there in Oregon or uh, whether we're talking about even some tractor pulling and Bonneville stuff. And before we get into the details of that, I guess I just want to go back to to your history with cars, man. You're a guy that builds hot rods. You build race cars. And where did this all start for you? Did you grow up in a racing family? I mean, what's your background there? Actually, the first car I ever learned to drive was a 1922 Model T. Wow. <laughs> My dad was a, he restored antique cars. He was, he wasn't particularly into hot rods and fast cars and stuff like that. I mean, he was when he was a kid and he had a 55 Buick, I think, um, custom reverse chromes, you know, uh, like a, just a cruiser when he was a kid and a couple cars and stuff. But when I was a kid, I just remember, you know, antique cars, 29 Buicks, 55 Cadillacs, you know, the Model T's, Model A's, all that sort of stuff. And, and that's what I grew up doing. So I get my hands dirty with my dad. I'd work on that stuff. And then as I got older, you know, I wanted the fast stuff. So I still have my 68 charger that I got when I was 15. It's sitting right here behind me. My dad and I built it. And, uh, you know, you, you, you couldn't offer me any amount of money to sell that thing. It's too many memories. And, you know, my kid loves going around. He's 12. He wants to take the charger around and, you know, go do a burnout somewhere. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's great stuff, but, but that's it. You know, I just kind of the antique cars and then I got that charger and, you know, the funny thing about the charger is it's never been on a drag strip. I never drag. You're kidding me. (laughs) No, huh? I've got a couple 70 Cudas. One of those I drag raced a little bit before I got into a really fast car, you know, a fuel car, but um, my wife and I carry, you know, we've been together since 1990. I mean, we've, this whole time and we started going to i'm from sonoma you know santa rosa sonoma california is my home racetrack so we'd go out to the um autolite nationals out there and and that's really i mean i looked at these guys working on these cars and i thought you know i could i could probably do that i could probably work on that stuff it's really cool you know and uh jerry darian was the first guy that i met and uh he let me wipe the car off or <laughs> something like that <laughs> i don't remember i i was so excited just wipe the car off and and, uh, and then that started there, and then I ended up getting a job on uh, Randy Park's top fuel car um, years ago in, in 1998, I think it was. And, and I started doing the clutch. You know, they put me on the clutch right away. So that, that carried me through a lot because the clutch is a pretty – anybody out there trying to get a job on a, you know, big show team or on any, you know, race team like these – be a clutch guy <laughs> everybody needs a good clutch guy you know they do and, yeah. and it's a valuable thing to know and so um that gave me opportunities and stuff but driving though i remember we were somewhere with the park's top fuel car my wife would probably be able to tell me because i don't have as good memory as her but 
Um, and I was, it was, uh, the driver, Randy couldn't get in the car and, and warm it up. And I was always, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it if he's not around. And so I got my chance to sit in the car and warm up a top fuel car and go through a whole warm up. And, and they used to intimidate me before that. I was like, wow, you know, how, how does anybody even do that? But something clicked when I sat in the car and I felt it and I heard it and I, and I wasn't claustrophobic. I felt, you know, good in there. Yeah. Comfortable. I got out of that car and I thought, I, I want to drive something, you know, I want to drive something. And, and that's what started it going. And so I just started talking to people and Russ Parker, um, local, you know, fellow top alcohol funny car driver, um, they're up in Salem and we had become friends and he was going to let me drive top alcohol funny car. And, uh, so that didn't work out. And so he knew Greg Lawrence. Um, I didn't know Greg Lawrence at the time and he put me with Greg Lawrence and, I ended up getting my license in Greg Lawrence's car because I had experience and he needed a good guy to work on his car. And so that's kind of what I tell kids and stuff I talk to about wanting to do this stuff is, you know, if you don't have the money to just go and rent a car and go drive, which, you know, that's a path too, um, learn how to work on them, you know, yeah. like get really good at working on them because guys, there's guys out there that will give you an opportunity you know, if you, if you do a good job and you learn and, and you're good at what you do and they might just put you in a car and that's what happened to me. I, I licensed in Greg Lawrence's car and then, you know, we leased it to be able to go race Sonoma. The, my first race ever was the Autolite Nationals because I wanted to Man, race my cool home track. That? Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, awesome. And yeah, we went to the final, <laughs> you know, so I had, I had Randy Myers car in the final, you know, Alan Bradshaw and, and uh, I just remember leaving that race and it was such an overwhelming, awesome experience and, um, driving home and, you know, it sounds kind of corny, I guess, but I was like, man, you know, I was put on this earth to drive a, a dragster. That's what I was put here. I'm going to do this, you know? And it just, it just really motivated me having that, that success in that first race, um, really motivated me to just keep after it. And I got to race Jack Beckman during that race. He was he was driving an A-field dragster for somebody. Um, I think I had him first round or something like that, um, which uh, I kind of jab at old Jack Beckman because I don't think he's ever beat me. <laughs> you might, you might nice. want to ask him about that. Nice. Because I drove that Pluger Geiger funny car, and he did a little bit of stout funny car racing, and, and uh, I'm going to take a little jab at old Jack Beckman. <laughs> I don't know that he's ever beat me. I'm not sure. I like You'll it. have to go to Lewis Bloom and get the stats, but I'm not sure. I don't know that he's ever beat me, but um, – but, but no, so that that's that's how it went. And then it went on to the Big O Tires A Fuel car, and that's that's where my my A Fuel you know career started. I think it's you know everybody's uh, everybody's path is different. That's why I love hearing about the trip you took to get where you are today. And um, I think the best part of the whole thing is that you know that you weren't some guy that was just like grew up you know tied to the bumper of his dad's truck when he was racing every weekend you know that's your path is your path is interesting because you know this was something that you you almost had a lightning bolt realization one day going damn i actually really do want to do it. like i actually love this and i really want to make this a part of what i am and and the approach of of you know give me a shot of doing something here and then starting there and coming up is is awesome and i think you know i i always I have no animosity against anybody that has the resources to um, make their trip quicker or smoother than other people. Um, but I certainly have a ton of respect for people that 
have legitimately kind of worked their way through it and have used their sweat equity to replace their wallet. And, and that's a great, it's a neat thing to hear. That's how you did it. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I, I mean, because it it's just it's just the only way that I knew how to get there. And, and you know, I was a kid that that didn't really know what he was going to do. You know, and and you could say that about any kid out there when they're trying to figure it out. And and like I say, that day something clicked. It just clicked. You know, like I'm going to do this. You know, and and whether you're going to be a chef at a restaurant or whatever, you know, it is. Um, that was it for me, and and I went for it, and you know I've been fortunate. I've had I've had a lot of success, and and um, it's it's been good for me. I've done things in drag racing that I never thought I would I would get to do. You know, you mentioned um, uh, you mentioned being comfortable in the car during that warm up and kind of having the you know the the feeling kind of overwhelm you about okay, I really want to drive this. The first time you were at the starting line, were you still as comfortable in the thing when it was running and you were actually looking down a racetrack? Yeah, yeah, I was. I remember when when I when I got my license in Greg Lawrence's a fuel car. It's funny because it it's not as prevalent nowadays, but back then, like you cannot pedal in a fuel car. If you you're going to blow it up, don't do it. You know, and I got a huge lecture, and rightfully so from Greg because it's his equipment, and I you know you want to hurt nothing about don't pedal his car. Well, it got down to the the last day of the of the season, like Woodburn was going to close and. If I didn't get down the track, I was going to have to wait till next season. You know, I wanted to finish my license. It was my last lap. And uh, the car left. And, and I remember during the whole process of driving, I just was never nervous about it. I mean, I, I was real serious about it. And what I, what I tell kids that talk to me about driving this stuff, and I learned some of this from, like, Tony Schumacher. Because when I was out there, um, you know, working on a top fuel car, and then I realized I was going to get to start driving these things. So I started talking to anybody I knew about, sure. you know, what does it feel like? What does it look like? You know, and, and, and I would lay in bed at night and I would just visualize driving these cars, you know, and trying. So by the time I got in there and started really making runs, I mean, I, a lot of it was kind of familiar because I had sort of beat the horse dead in my head, you know, <laughs> trying yeah. to, you know, think about what it was going to be like. But that last lap, um, you know, the car left and and it left good and it did that 300 foot you know pretty yep. hard shake and i and i pedaled it i slapped it and 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 i will never forget it because it was the first time i experienced that and then it just got crystal clear and it just booked you know and and i remember you know because you, you're so far behind the car when you when you first start doing that i mean that was my sixth lap so you're still getting caught up so I'm coming up to the finish line by the time I'm telling myself, oh, my God, I just pedaled it. You know, like, <laughs> oh, no. You know, and then I go through the lights, and I and I got shoots out, everything got it stopped, and I remember jumping out of the car and, and being so concerned, like, did it, are the rods out of it? I heard it. Oh, my gosh, you know, I wasn't supposed to pedal it. And uh, they got down there, and everything was fine, and the car, I think I had, like, a five, at the time, this was 2001, I had, like, a 550 six or something like that that i that it turned it into you know on that pedal but but i got my license and everybody was really excited and stuff but the point i'm trying to make to that story is it it i didn't even think about it you know i mean in in the moment i just did it you know it was a clean slap pedal boom gone yeah and, and didn't even and that's what you have to do in these cars like anybody will tell you if you think about it it's it's too late you can't you have to have an instinct and be comfortable enough in the car 
where you're not second guessing what you're doing and you just, you just do it, you know, you just do it. And, and that was an example of that, you know, and, and it all worked out good. Nothing got hurt. And, you know, Greg, Greg got down there and he goes, dude, you pedaled my car. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't get the pan off fast enough. We got back to, oh, man. Back to the pits, but, uh, but no, it, it, it's always been, I've never, you know, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have butterflies. When I get in a five engine tractor with five blown alcohol Chevys, you know, I've never done that. I mean, I hadn't until I did it. And, and there's butterflies, you know, you don't know what to expect. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. And, and I feel like driving these cars, if you don't have that little bit of edge, if you don't have that little bit of respect for what you're doing and those little bit of butterflies running around in there, you know, they're not pterodactyls, but they're, they're butterflies. You know, you're, you, these things are serious, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and you have to, you have to respect what you're doing and, and you have to have a little bit of that, I yeah. believe. Oh yeah. You no, know? you're hundred percent right. I mean, Bruce McLaren, a, the famous race car driver from the seventies said that, um, you know, any, any racer that tells you that they're not the least bit nervous when they get in the car isn't ahead of the game. They're, they're crazy. You know, you need, he, he, he always thought that that was a healthy, you know, that was kind of a healthy thing. And like you said, it's a respect. It's not a fear it's a respect, you know, and it's, and it shows that you're not completely oblivious to, to what's going on around you. Uh, you mentioned the tractor. Right. I want to, I want to work, yeah. up to, I want to work up to the tractor. I want to, I want to go to Bonneville. Everybody first. loves the tractor, the war wagon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go, I want to go to Bonneville with you first. Cause you joined the, uh, the Bonneville 200 mile an hour club, double a blown gas coupe, uh, Barracuda you were driving when you went in there. Yep. And so, yep. um, if you can, Explain to somebody at home why it is a big deal to be in the 200 mile an hour club at Bonneville. Well, first of all, I and I forgive me, I don't know exactly how many people in the United States um, alone are in it, and it's it's not that many. I mean, it's a, it's lot a couple less hundred, couple think. hundred tops. Yeah. yeah, it's something like a couple hundred, under 300, something like that. But um, but it, it's it's a big deal, and and I'll tell you why. You know, when I get down to the end of this little story, but. You know, when I went out there, my uncle had a Bonneville car, and, and he built this car for a friend of his. And, and it's a story about being claustrophobic and being comfortable, too, because he called me up, and he said, hey, I don't know if this guy's going to be able to do this. You know, if you want to drive a Bonneville car, you know, be there, and you might get a chance. Great. Okay. So I went. And uh, it is an experience when you go out there. It it's, you, I'm sure you've been out there. I have, yeah. It's 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 – you know, I'll never forget going out there the first time and driving on the salt at six thirty in the morning and the sun's coming up and and you're you're realizing people have been doing this for for you know, ever out there and it's it's like hallowed ground for racing. You know, you think about Mickey Thompson and, you know, the Goldenrod and all these famous land speed cars. And so I'm going out there and and, you know, the guy that built the car my uncle, you know, they went to do the bailout and the, the owner, Paul Ogden, um, he got in the car and when you, when you go to Bonneville, you got to do a bailout. So you, they get you in the car and then they say, okay, you're on fire. You got to get out of the car, you know, now, and you're supposed to, you know, get out of the car within a reasonable amount of time. Um, you know, a few seconds. And so he got in there and they went to put the belts on him and he just said, get me out. I'm, I'm not doing this get wow. me out of this car. And so, and so Gary, you're up. <laughs> so I went in there 
and I did the bailout and stuff. And same thing, you know, I was comfortable. I, none of it, none of it bothered me. I mean, there's things where that car, the part that impresses people when I tell them that car weighed almost 7,000 pounds. Yeah. Nobody and realizes Bonneville, that. Yeah. That aren't, yeah, yeah people, yeah. people don't realize how heavy those cars are. And they're that way for a reason. Cause you need traction and you need to stay on the ground. Right. So, um, you, you know, you, if you have time to sit in there and really think about, wow, if I barrel roll this car at, in excess of 250 miles an hour, it's it's oh, not going to be pretty. Yeah, the amount you know, of the amount of stored energy in 7,000 pounds yeah. at that speed is just astronomical. Yeah, yeah, and I've had people you know make comments to me. Oh, well, there's no wall to hit. What's the big deal? It's a big deal when you're going. That that <laughs> car was a stock bodied yeah. 67 Plymouth Barracuda with a Tom Nelson twin turbo 2300 at the rear wheel horsepower a Hemi in it. Um, and, and it, it, I went 260 and it was my fastest exit speed. Um, my, my first record was 222, I believe. And my second record was 241. Um, but that thing gets over 220, 230 and, and it, it, it gets your attention. You've got white knuckles cause you're, you don't exactly know where it's going to go. You know, you just are along for the ride. You got to kind of just lead the car and, and it, and 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 just you know don't overdrive it you cannot drive it like a funny car because you'll get the thing loose and then it gets air under it and that's when you crash so and you have to be real slow on the throttle you know you can't well the first time i drove it because you go through your license process yeah and the first time i drove it tom nelson's like oh he's a drag racer you know because uh, i just whoop. wanted to go you know i just <laughs> would bury the throttle and they're like you can't do that you know you got to you got to really feel the traction. You have to, they, they describe it as like, have like an egg under the pedal. You yes. have to just be, be real, you know, slow and smooth on the throttle. And so by the time we got to my license, my, my a license, um, run to get my a license on a license run, we qualified for a record. Nice. Um, so I got to come back the next day. We set that record we came back and upped it to 241 and then that's when i got in the two club and uh and then we i came back again i drove it one other time and i spun it, it was the first time i i'd i had qualified for another record that would have been over 250 i think wow. it, you know depending on what my second Sheesh. you know run was it, it was it was you know it was good and so i got overconfident the last time I got overconfident and I just buried the throttle and I wasn't, um, I didn't respect what I was doing. I mean, I gotta be honest and I got overconfident and it, it, it spun somewhere out there around the two and a quarter, I think, or something or somewhere around there, two mile. And, um, you know, I was, I was pretty upset at myself because as soon as the thing got away and started to spin, I just knew like you blew it dude you know yeah. you, you tuck your arms <laughs> in you go for the ride and you know it, it hit a, a mile marker and ran up the quarter panel and came to a stop and of course you want to just you know start the thing up and go to the yeah. go to the starting line and do you know get a do-over <laughs> you know like because <laughs> you know exactly what you did you know yeah. exactly where you screwed up you know and so but we didn't do that so so we get back to the pits and here's the point of my story mike cook comes by um, oh, yeah. and for those of people that may not know, he's, you know, um, he's a legendary Bonneville guy, um, Stonewoods and cook, his dad, all that stuff. And, 
he he came through and he goes, hey, uh, so feeling pretty bad about yourself, huh? And I said, yeah, man. And I was upset. And he goes, come on, let me go get you an iced tea. You want an iced tea? So I get in his golf cart. We go get an iced tea. And he goes, here, I got to take you over and uh, you got to sign the, the spin book. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, I think it might make you feel better. For he takes me over to a trailer that his wife is working at. And he goes, get the book. Come on, get the book. And I'm sitting there with my iced tea, still pissed, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, you know, not really getting what the point of this was, get the book. And, uh, she comes, gets the book and it's this old book and I got my spin pin. She gives me a spin pin that you get to pin on your fire suit that you're in the spin club. And she gets this book and, uh, I open it up and he opens it up for me to sign this book. And the first name in the book is Wally Parks. Bingo! And, wow, and yeah. I was, and then and then you look at all the names of people in there. You know, Mickey Thompson, Al T. You know, all these guys that you know you grew up watching. And yeah, I was like, yeah, you know what? I, some I pretty good feel, company. I, I yeah. do feel a little bit better now. <laughs> you know, he did. He made me feel a little bit better about it. You know, and and uh, so I signed the book, and my name's in the book. But um, but no, it's it's I proudly run the two hundred mile an hour club sticker on my car. Yeah. Um, people nice. ask me about it. It's cool to cross over from drag racing to Bonneville. Well, there's um, so much history and, there. And you know, get to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the two are so and, intrinsically linked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, in the in the older days, you know, that used to happen a lot. You know, there were, I want to say, drivers like Daniel and Gaius went yep. back and forth and things like that. And so it's cool to be a part of that. And when people come up and ask me, I, they usually have to shut me up talking about it because it's, <laughs> it's, I'd love to go back and do it again. I was going to go back one other time and I was supposed to drive a car for Alan Johnson who builds hot rods. He's a pretty oh, yeah. famous uh, yeah. car builder and, um, it got rained out. We stood in the parking lot all week and I never got to do it. And then, you know, he had somebody else and I ended up not getting to go back again, but I, I, I would, I would love to go back and, and drive something, you know, faster, maybe yeah, go over 300 miles, less like it. I drove his, uh, nostalgia fuel funny car after I got to drive for Pluger. Um, and, uh, he's, he's a legend out there. Yes, he and is. So he'll, the he'll, beast. he'll tease me. He'll call me up every once in a while. I'll say, oh, so, uh, how big are, how tall are you? Less, you know, how big I am. I had trouble for you. So I'll refresh my memory. How big are you? And I'm building this car and, you might get to drive it. <laughs> okay. Great, thanks. Yeah. Let me know. <laughs> and leg it so, down. Yeah. It's, it's always, it's always out there. There's always a chance, I guess. Les is a good guy. I still, I still keep in touch with him, talk to him. And he, he's got a Studebaker that he runs called the beast. And, uh, I think he went, um, three Oh five thirty with it. Yeah. Honestly, or, and they're well uh, yeah, over 300. Like yeah. 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 No, he's, he knows what he's doing with that stuff. The uh, last, the last thing I want to broach with you here is uh, the pulling tractor that you mentioned. So it's a five engine tractor, um, you know, in theory and, and on paper and in reality, it's more powerful than a top fuel dragster. I mean, you got five engines that are yeah. making close to 3000 horsepower in that thing. And it is the slowest thing you have ever competed in. And I, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I guess I just, for people that don't, I love tractor pulling and I, I've loved tractor pulling since I was a kid. And I'm an enthusiast of a fan of tractor pulling. I want to know from your perspective as somebody who's done this stuff going to 5260 at Bonneville, someone who's faster than that on a drag strip, where is the intensity in piloting a vehicle that goes less than 60 miles an hour? 
it's it's the noise it's the chaos that's happening in front of you <laughs> it's it's the symphony of five blown alcohol motors i mean it's for for the driver when you climb up in this thing i mean by the time you get up and sit up you, you know you're you're like up there right so it's it's an odd feeling being up so high um i can't tell you how tall the tires are but they're taller than me you know if i stand next to it so i'm five foot 11 yeah so they're about uh, so six, they're, the tires you know, each are six they're, feet they're, tall they're yeah. huge so by the time you climb up in there you're up there a ways um mike sharpelo owns the tractor and he he owns the alcohol double b funny cars that i drive up here and uh the funny story about that is i i went to the shop to to, to sit in this thing and when you start it you know you start each motor individually and you get one going and then you over center um clutch guys would understand that term but you you stick a a pipe into the throw out bearing and you over center each clutch of each motor because it's got glide clutches in it it's got basically a fuel clutches in it so you 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 over center them and you spin the motors and you get them going and so I went to Mike's shop to uh, to to learn how to start this thing and the procedure, and he hadn't never driven it yet. And so we started up and we shut it off. And I go, okay, so how? What am I gonna expect? Like, you know, what is this gonna feel like? Like, what, to give me some direction here. And I look at Mike and I look at Gage, who's his son that works on my fuel car. Some too. Yeah, he, he just worked for John Force actually, but. Um, Anyway, I look at those two guys. I go, what am I supposed to expect? Like, how's this going to feel? And they look at you and they're like, I don't know. I've never driven it. <laughs> like, I'm not stupid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Like, Are you kidding me? I don't know, you dumb, know? dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I kind of had to do what I've done and just kind of jump in and do it and, and, and not be scared of it but respect it. And, you know, you're not going that fast, but we had a pull into Larry where it stood that thing up pretty high and and you know when you, you just go on and google tractor puller fails oh yeah no you'll, it's you'll see these things oh yeah it gets go bad up on in a one hurry. tire and yeah. flip over and but yeah. it took me i think i've driven it maybe four times okay. i think i think i pulled it like maybe four times and and the last time i pulled it because yeah, you, you have to it's a lot like bonneville you have to be slow on the throttle you can't just bury the throttle because it gets into this wheel hop and it'll actually damage the sled and it'll damage the tractor and uh and i slowed way down the last time i pulled it i thought you know i'm just gonna not listen to anybody i'm just gonna do what i want to do feel what i feel and baby this thing down there and i did and i went 421 feet baby (laughs) right out the back door the record for the place we were at I tried to pull it back into the pits. You could make a left-hand turn and go into the pits, and I was heading that way, and I hit the steer brake and turned it, and I thought, I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I shut it off. Ah. And I did I did get a little bit of a butt chewing, but but it wasn't too bad. But but no, it's, it's, it's fun for the fans to watch. They all cheer when that thing screams. And as a driver, you know, and, and Just the power. every I mean, time I've driven incredible. it, yeah. one of the motors has had – some kind of an issue you know one of the cars that i've always wanted to drive is a front engine top fuel car you know when when i drove for steve pluger which was you know an awesome year that was incredible getting to do that um i used to say that to steve and he go oh what do you want to drive that for that's yeah, right. <laughs> those things just those things just spit oil all over you don't want to drive one of those you know and 
so I've never gotten to drive a French and top fuel car as much as I want to. Mindy Fry, who's a <laughs> high school classmate of mine, um, but uh, but that tractor gave me the front engine fuel car feeling of getting sprayed with oil the last time I drove it too, because <laughs> one of the motors said "see you later" and puked a bunch of oil, and I got oil down on a five engine tractor. So there you stuff, go. Stuff can, stuff can happen. You've lived that life. <laughs> well, you think about, you look down at all that stuff screaming and, and revved up and you, there's parts that can fly and like, oh, yeah. should I have a bulletproof vest on maybe? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, That's there's awesome. a lot of uncertainty, but, but anyway, it's, uh, it, it's, it's all fun. I'm fortunate. I'm lucky. Um, you know, but I've, but I appreciate what you said. I have, I have put my nose to the grindstone and worked hard for it. And, you know, that's always my advice. I mean, to this day, you know, I've got both these eight fuel cars here and I'm responsible for all the work on them. So, um, you know, it's just, it's just what I do. It's, it's my way of, of getting there. And, uh, I always try to try to encourage kids that come out to the track to just, you know, if they're interested in this stuff, just learn about it. You know, we don't seem to have, automotive you know classes in high school anymore and you know auto shop and stuff like that so you know we always need good people to work on these things you know come come to a racetrack you know have your parents take you to racetrack you know i'll let you wipe the car off and then we can go from there you know um it's it's just you know i want to see the nhra grow and i want to see the nhra you know be popular and and the more people, the merrier. And, uh, you know, we need, we need good people in the sport. So I encourage them to come out and shake hands with us. And when you can, you know, because of the COVID, yeah, right. um, but, uh, but, you know, come out and shake hands and get to know us. That's why our sport has our atmosphere. Like it has, you know, where you can be in the pits at every race and it's a good thing, you know? Well, Garrett Bateman, I appreciate you taking the time. Great conversation and certainly great to get some background on uh, where you've come from and certainly where you're going in drag racing. So I look forward to seeing you at the racetrack soon and uh, catching up with you and Rick Hankelman and watching you burn some nitro, man. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, hopefully hopefully soon. You know, we'll see. I'm excited. We'll, we, we we plan on running really good this year. So with Mitch Myers and staff, we're really looking forward to it. He's been great coming on board. And so a big thanks to Garrett Bateman, of course, and to Steve Johnson for sharing their stories. And, uh, you know, two very different stories there with Steve Johnson getting us the great details on Jock and his improvement medically, which is fantastic. And Garrett Bateman, a guy who is, of course, very interesting in his history in racing, the way he came up through the sport and has come up through the sport as as a driver and multiple disciplines is really, really awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Fingers crossed that the next time we make an episode of this show, which will be next week, that we'll be talking about a revamped, revised, and released 2020 NHRA Mellow Yellow Drag Racing Series schedule. I got my mind on that. Hopefully you do too. We'll be back next week with another NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm Brian Loans, and I thank you for listening.